0: my mind on you and
1: everywhere I turn is a reminder
2: Welcome to Barah Ministries, an intimate local Christian church with Worldwide Impact. My name is Pastor Rory Clark. Welcome to this Bible lesson. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, the Apostle Paul says this, To write the same things over and over again is no trouble to me, and it's a safeguard for you. We always begin our lessons here at Barah Ministries with the same set of questions. So those of you who don't like repetition... Please go ahead and fast forward through June's song, which she hasn't sung yet if you're live, but you can just fast forward right through that because you're going to hear the same set of questions every time I do a lesson, over and over and over, because these opening questions are the essence of what biblical Christianity is all about. Uh, Do you tune out waiting for the good part? Because this is the good part. Who is Jesus Christ? At Barah Ministries, we know this truth, that Jesus Christ is God. He knew he was God too, much to the dismay of his Jewish brethren while he was here on earth. John chapter 5, verse 18 says this, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill Jesus because not only was he breaking the Sabbath by doing miracles and healings, but he was also calling God his own father making himself equal with God. Well, why would Jesus make himself equal with God? Because he is equal with God. He has the exact same essence as God the Father, the exact same essence as God the Holy Spirit. And so that's why he was doing it. But some people can't handle the truth. Why does Barah Ministries exist? At Barah Ministries, we introduce people to the Lord. And we make a difference by teaching the Word of God verse by verse from the Lord's perspective and not from man's perspective. For example, what is God's perspective on this thing that we're all into now? Diversity, equity, and inclusion. What's God's perspective on that? Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 and 28. All of you believers in Christ who were baptized by God the Holy Spirit into union with Christ. And that's what happens to us at the moment of salvation. The moment you believe in Jesus Christ, God the Holy Spirit places you into union with Christ. It's called the baptism of the Spirit. All of you believers in Christ who are baptized by God the Holy Spirit into union with Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. So Jesus doesn't have your back. He has your front, your side, your angle, your up, your down. He has every part of you. You have clothed yourself with Christ. You've put him on like a garment. Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. So there is neither Jew nor Greek, with God, there is no racial distinction. There is neither slave nor free. With God, there is no social distinction. There's no upper class, middle class, lower class. And there is neither male nor female, nor no gender distinction. For you are all in unity who are in union with Christ Jesus. One of the things that the baptism of the Holy Spirit does is it places us all into a unity. We are all unified with Christ. So Barah Ministries is provided by God for the benefit of unbelievers to give them the gospel message, which introduces them to the good news concerning Jesus Christ's salvation offer. The Lord's arms are wide open to unbelieving ones. Luke chapter 15, verse 4 says this What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 sheep in the open pasture? and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. Well, that's what God does. God's message to the lost, to unbelievers, is I want you. Barah Ministries is provided also by God for Christians, those who want a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the Lord through the study of his word. You can't have a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with the Lord unless you study his word. So what are believers to do after salvation? God commands in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 18. He says, we are to grow in the sphere of God's grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's how you get a deep relationship with anyone. You get to know them. You get to know how they think, how they feel, what they say, what it's like to be around them. That's what it takes to get into a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with Jesus Christ as well. So God's message to believers in Christ is, I've got you. Now, why do we study the Word of God? We study the Bible to allow God's truth to shape our reality instead of letting the world's lies shape our reality. How is your reality shaped? What source do you use to shape your reality? Because I'll tell you that the different situations that come up in my life, it's pretty amazing how I want to handle them versus how I do handle them. Because how I want to handle them most of the time is to stab somebody in the eye. And how I do handle them is I recognize that God would have me handle it a different way. Amen? Amen. So that's what I mean by God's perspective. God wants our reality to be what Paul communicates in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. He says this, Therefore, I, Paul, beg, beseech, beg, you believers in Christ, as you keep on being persuaded, by, because of the many mercies of God, to present your bodies by choice, not by command, as a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God the Father, which is your spiritual service, worship. God expects you as a believer in Christ to be spiritual and to have spiritual service and not to grope around, I don't know what my spiritual gift is. And, you know, 10 years later, you're still saying the same thing. He expects you to investigate what your spiritual gift is and put it to work in the body of Christ. He doesn't want you to be a vestigial organ. Ooh, vestigial. What's that word mean? It's like your appendix. Your appendix has absolutely no function, and the only time you know it's there is when it explodes, and then you have to go into the hospital to get it removed, or when it starts to swell. But otherwise, it's pretty much vestigial. It doesn't do anything. And that's what most Christians are like. Most Christians are vestigial. They don't do anything. And the only time you know that they're around is when they start freaking out in their head about some legalistic piece of junk and then start infecting everyone in the congregation with that stuff. Amen? That's not what God wants for us. Romans chapter 12, verse 2, and do not be
0: conformed
2: to the world. And so that's why I'm asking you, what is the source that shapes your reality? Because whatever that source is will conform you. And God is saying to you, do not be conformed to the world by Satan, by his cosmic system of thought, because he is the ruler of this world, and by the flesh resident in you. In your body is the flesh. And the flesh is completely antagonistic toward you, completely antagonistic toward God, and completely antagonistic to anything that is of value to you tries to ruin everything in your life, talking to you all the time. So don't be conformed to the world, but keep on being transformed by God, the Holy Spirit, through the renewing of your mind. And how do you renew your mind? By studying the Word of God. And what happens when you do that? So that you can see clearly, through the testing of experience, what the will of God is. And the will of God is, is that which is good for you, that which is acceptable to him and that which is perfect in result. And it sure doesn't feel like it when you're going through it, does it? doesn't feel like it when you're going through it. But God's got plans for you. And part of the plan that he has for you involves walking you through a gauntlet of pain so that you're tough enough to handle what he's got ready for you. And so 22 years standing in this pulpit going through the gauntlet of pain, I can't wait to see what God has in store for me after I come out of this sabbatical. And believe me, he's got a lot planned. Because he didn't do all this work to then have me go off somewhere and do something else stupid. Well, God has an enemy, Satan, whom God made the ruler of this world. And in John chapter 12, verse 31, the Lord says this, Now judgment is upon this world. Now the ruler of this world, Satan, will be cast out. He will be dethroned from his rulership of the world at a future time. In fact, that will be called the millennial reign of Christ. And Jesus Christ will reign on the earth for a thousand years in perfect condition. If any of your friends are ever freaking out and wondering if this is the end of the world, it is not. When this age that we're in, called the church age, ends, there is a minimum of a thousand seven years left in human history. So don't panic and tell them not to panic. Now, what does Satan want? Satan wants you to busy yourself with the things of this world system, of his world system, so you don't have time to learn what God has to say to you in his word. This year, one of the things I've added to myself is a prayer life. And one of the things I notice is that when I get up in the morning and make that appointment with God every day, my day is completely different. It's completely calm. When I get up and the first thing I do is emails my day is frenetic. And I caught myself last week wanting to creep over into the, the email early in the morning, and I just didn't do it. And I ended up staying in the prayer session for about an hour and a half, and it was just an amazing hour and a half. And it's an hour and a half where I'm asking God a lot of questions, and he's giving me the thoughts that answer it. And so your prayer life It's very important to you, and one of the things I want you to develop while we're not together is your prayer life, and we're going to give you some resources that you can use to develop your prayer life, and it'll be the same resources that I'm using to develop my prayer life, because Satan wants you to get busy. He wants you to go to the email right away, and so that you don't go see what God has to say to you. 1 Peter 5, verse 9, though, encourages us to resist Satan by standing firm in your faith. To say no to the things that distract you. Don't let Satan rob you of your spiritual life with distractions. Well, today we do the Lord's Supper celebration, and it is at the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ reconciled us and redeemed us. The Lord Jesus Christ reconciled us, And he redeemed us. And what I wonder is this. If you're a believer in Christ, could you explain to anybody what reconciliation is and what redemption is from a spiritual point of view? Because these are two of the doctrines that are absolutely fundamental to biblical Christianity. Can you explain it to anybody? So here's what it's about. How do you treat an enemy who betrays you? And how do you treat a friend who betrays you? In today's Lord's Supper celebration, God teaches us how to do both, with reconciliation and redemption. So let's hear some music. If you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are his possession. He redeemed you, which means he purchased your life with a high-priced sacrifice. His death on a cross, his blood. 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19 say this, you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from the empty way of life inherited from your human forefathers. The Lord didn't buy you with money. 1 Peter 1, 19, you were redeemed. You were purchased through the payment of a ransom with precious blood, the blood of a lamb unblemished and spotless, a lamb without defect, a sinless lamb, the blood of the lamb called Christ. Well, here's June Murphy to sing about our Redeemer.
3: Who taught the sun where to stand? And who told the ocean
2: Redeemer lives and one day in the near future he will take his stand again on the earth. Let us pray. We're grateful Heavenly Father for the privilege of studying your absolute truth the Word of God. Father thank you for always knowing the situations we face and thank you for being able to handle every situation we encounter because you have a divine solution for every human problem and thank you for having a personal tailor-made plan to handle Every one of our situations. Help us to see your hand in everything we do by opening our spiritual eyes, the eyes of our heart. We ask this through the power of God the Holy Spirit. In Christ's name, say it with me. Amen. Amen. The Lord's Supper celebration at the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ reconciled us and redeemed us. Isn't that cool? All right, so two things before we get started. So, Cindy Christensen had a birthday yesterday and she just sent me a text, me- text message. She said, did you forget me? No. I did it last week. I did it on time. I forgot to put Lisa Munoz in last week. And Cindy, I even uh, wished happy birthday to your dad, and, who is 90 years old. Holy hell. Chico. Ugh. And, <laughs> and also, Janice is uh, listening to us this morning, up with Monica and John Miller. So that's cool, too, huh? Hi Dad. I have, my foot is hurting right here. Janice, if you could help me, she's the best foot massager on planet Earth. Did you get a foot massage from her during one of the conferences? Yeah, well, she's got good taste, she only picks the best people to do that for. (laughs) Well, that's good. There are some people who actually respect their pastor. Amen? (laughs) Not any of you. Uh, Oh, God. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So the Lord's Supper celebration at the cross. The Lord Jesus Christ reconciled us and redeemed us. So welcome to the Lord's Supper celebration, which is the most intimate expression of our love. For the Lord Jesus Christ in the Christian way of living. The Lord demonstrates his desire for a deep, intimate, and personal relationship with his believers by creating a way for, to keep on sharing his body and blood with us, just as he did with his apostles on the night before his death. Luke chapter 22 verses 14 to 16 say this. When the hour had come and his crucifixion was near, the Lord Jesus Christ reclined at the Passover table. And the apostles reclined with him. And the Lord said to the apostles, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover meal with you before I suffer. Luke twenty-two sixteen. For I, the Lord Jesus Christ, say to you that I shall never again eat this Passover meal until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God the Father. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26, the apostle Paul says, On behalf of the Lord, as often as you eat this bread, representing his body, and as often as you drink this cup, representing his blood, as part of the Lord's Supper celebration, you proclaim as a reality and you announce the significance of the Lord Jesus Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead until he comes again at the second coming. During the Lord's Supper celebration, Jesus wants his believers to remember. We look back to the cross for a moment and we we remember how the Lord rescued us from the kingdom of darkness. We remember the Lord's sacrifice of shedding his blood to cover our sins. We remember the gift of the resurrection life that the Lord orchestrated, bringing us into his kingdom of light. And in addition, the Lord wants his believers to look forward with anticipation because he is coming again. And he's coming again twice. He's coming once on the clouds to pick up his church-age believers, and we will meet the Lord in the air. It's called the exit resurrection of the church or the rapture of the church where God plucks all of his believers off the earth. And he'll be coming again in the second coming where his feet will actually touch down on the earth. And he will put down a rebellion and another attempt to kill all the Jews, and he will lock Satan up for a thousand years and take over rulership of the world. He is coming again, so we have something to look forward to. As believers in Christ, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we ask ourselves in reflection, what did the Lord Jesus Christ do for us at the cross? Now, every Lord's Supper celebration we've had in the last couple of years, I've asked you that question. And I ask you that question for a specific reason. Because every time you look at a cross, what I want you to do is ask yourself that question. What did he do for us at the cross? And you'll notice that the answer to that question can never end. You notice that we've been doing this for over two years, and every time it's a different answer. He did so much for us at the cross that it's mind-boggling, and that's why he wants us to keep looking back at the cross. Well, today we know that at the cross, the Lord made it possible for everyone to be reconciled and redeemed. There were things he did with his enemies. There were things he did with his friends. And those things he did, the most significant thing he did was reconciliation and redemption. Just imagine if he hadn't reconciled us. If he hadn't made that possible, what would have happened? What if he hadn't redeemed us? What would have happened? See, that's what we've got to ask ourselves as Christians. So when we sin, we betray God. You probably don't think of your sins as a betrayal, but he does. And You may think you commit sins against yourself or against others, but David doesn't agree with you he actually thought otherwise. In Psalm 51, verse 3, he said, against you, Lord, and against you only have I sinned, and I have done what is evil in your sight. And so you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. What is he saying? All right, first of all, who is this guy? This is after he committed adultery with his best friend's wife, sent his best friend to the front line to be killed, through a conspiracy, had him killed. He's an adulterer, a conspirator, and a murderer. And now he's reflecting on it. He ends up marrying his best friend's wife, Bathsheba, and she gets pregnant and has a baby, and he's sitting reflecting, and this is what he wrote, against you, Lord, and against you only have I sinned. You know, if he, heard, if he said that to somebody, he said, wait a minute, you sinned against Uriah, too. You sinned against Bathsheba. You even sinned against your unborn child. David said, no, against the Lord, and the Lord only have I sinned. And I did what was evil in his sight. He knew his priorities. I mean, he actually led uh, a thousand people to their death. See, when you start pointing fingers at people and you start talking about what's wrong with people, which we always do, do you ever think about the Davids of the world who led a hundred people to their death? That's pretty bad. Do you ever start stop to think about the Pauls of the world who killed more people than Hitler? Men, women, and children? Do you ever think about that? When you're accusing your friends and your family members of well, he, he didn't get back to me. You think about that? Because that's why I tell you about this stuff. And David, this David, this king, the most amazing king ever, what did the Lord Jesus Christ say about him after he had done all this? What did he say about him? Acts 13, 22. David, son of Jesse, is the kind of man I like one who will do all my will. Isn't that amazing? And David was looking at himself and he said, you know what, I'm, I'm quite imperfect, I'm evil. What I did was evil, I know that. But you are the only one who has the right to judge me. Lord, because you're perfect. Your judgments are perfect. Think about that the next time you're trying to judge somebody. So your judgments are not perfect because you never have all the data. You never know why people are doing what they're doing. You don't understand people's complex psychology. And a lot of times people don't even understand their own complex psychology. They, they have things that they describe for why they're doing things, but a lot of times the things that they're doing are so much deeper than even they understand. So when we sin, we betray God. And, and David says, against you and you only have I sinned, Lord. David acknowledges that a betrayal of the Lord is deserving of whatever punishment is just. Whatever punishment that a just God would be inclined to hand out. Yet we don't have a punishing God. We have a loving, compassionate, forgiving, merciful, graceful God who is always willing to welcome us to himself in spite of our betrayals and our flaws. Whenever I get hurt by people, it's one of the greatest experiences of my life. Because where do I go? I always go to God. I always get closer to God. I stop being on my own. That's one of the worst things that people could ever say. I wanted to do it on my own. And and don't get me wrong, I get that. We want to feel a sense of accomplishment. But you have never in your entire life done anything on your own. Because whatever you've done, you would have to breathe to do it. You're not breathing on your own. God is controlling your breathing. And if you tried to hold your breath, and you were successful in holding your breath till you passed out, he would start it up again. We don't do anything on our own. So that thought comes straight from the pit of hell. That thought comes from Satan, because that's what he wants to do. I want to do it on my own. I want to make myself like the Most High. I want to ascend above the heights of the clouds. I want to take over the function of God, but I'm not going to die for anybody to do it. God always welcomes us back when he's been betrayed. And we, we betray him 250 times a day. Are you this way when you're betrayed? Are you always welcoming the betrayer back? Sometimes betrayals come from enemies, like the betrayal from the unbelieving apostle and treasurer of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, in Luke chapter 22, verses 47 and 48. While Jesus was still speaking, behold, a crowd came, and the one called Judas Iscariot, one of the 12, was leading the crowd. And Judas approached Jesus to kiss him. Luke twenty-two forty-eight. And Jesus said to Judas, Are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Yeah, that's what enemies do. They betray you with a kiss. They pretend. Now, we have an omniscient Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He knew when he came to earth, He knew a billion years before that that Judas Iscariot would betray him. And so what did he do? He made him the treasurer of the disciples. He put him in charge of the money. Why would you ever do that? Why would you ever put a person that you knew was going to betray you in charge of the treasury? You would never do that. That's what makes our Lord so different. He always gives people a chance. He always gives people a chance. Sometimes betrayals come from friends. Peter, perhaps the bravest of the apostles, betrayed the Lord. In Luke chapter 22, verses 31 to 34, the Lord says this, Simon Peter, Simon Peter, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift all of you apostles like wheat. I don't know if you've ever seen wheat sifted, but it's a painful process. Luke chapter twenty-two verse thirty-two. But I, the Lord Jesus Christ, have prayed for you specifically, Peter, that your faith may not fail, that you may not get so distraught with yourself that you turn away from me, and that you, once you have turned back to me, which you will, will go strengthen your brothers. What did God? Do? What did the Lord do with Peter? Right after Peter betrayed him, he put him up in front of 3,000 people to evangelize. And all 3,000 of them became believers in Christ. That's what he did. You know why he did that? Because he's amazing. Luke chapter 22, verse 33. But Peter said to Jesus, Lord, with you I am ready to go both to prison and to death. Luke 22, 34. Jesus said, I say to you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you've denied three times that you know me. You know what happened after that. Sometimes we don't see the knife that is coming for our back from those who pretend to be our friends. Our omniscient God, who knows all the knowable, always knew that both Judas and Peter would betray him. And by the way, you know, when, when you say something like that, sometimes we don't see the knife that's coming for our back from those who pretend to be our friends. The people who put the knife in your back don't think that they're putting a knife in your back. You know, they, they have justified their actions in such a way in their mind that they think it's perfectly okay to do what they do. But you know what they don't do? They don't check their conduct against what the word of God has to say because the first check. Would you, you would make was was what I did a demonstration of unconditional love? If you're a believer, that's the first thing you would do. Okay, flunk was what you did forgiving. Okay, flunk was what you did, love gracious, flunk. See, that's how we survive as human beings. That's how we are okay with what we do. We're okay with what we do as long as we don't compare to what the Lord has to say. As long as we use the 12 defense mechanisms in our head to keep ourselves out of touch with reality, we don't ever have to really look at what we did and feel what we did and to feel what the pain is that we might have caused. Whenever we hurt somebody, we don't talk to them again because we don't want to hear what they have to say about how much it hurt. See? We just go off on our own and we start talking to ourselves and we start going through the arrogance skills. The first arrogance skill is self-betrayal. There's something you ought to do, and you know what it is that you ought to do and you don't do it. Self-betrayal. And then what's the next step of arrogance? Self-justification. You tell yourself that it's okay that you betrayed yourself. And then what's the next step? You tell yourself that it's okay you betrayed yourself for so long that you start to believe your own bullshit. That's self-deception. And then when you deceive yourself long enough, it becomes self-absorption where you're the only one that can be up on the pedestal and have everybody worshiping you. Wow. An exact duplication of Satan. Because what did he do? He was the anointed chair of the covers. He was the bodyguard of the Lord. And what did he do? He betrayed himself. He turned on the Lord and convinced all of the angels to turn on him too. And then what was next? He told himself it was okay that he did it. And he told himself it was okay that he did it for so long that he was in a state of self-deception. And not only did he tell himself it was okay, but he had a bunch of minions around him, his boys, who were telling him it was okay too. Yeah, man, you worked hard to teach us how to worship that guy. And he didn't give you any props, man. And then you keep doing that long enough, and now you're on the pedestal. I will make myself like the Most High. You wish. You wish that any... In A molecule in your being was as good as Jesus Christ, Satan. You wish. No way. So, what did Jesus do? He knew Judas and Peter were going to betray him. He gave them the benefit of the doubt to demonstrate his loving, forgiving, compassionate, and graceful nature. Are you this way when you're betrayed? It's kind of funny. Yeah, I hear people say all the time, maybe Judas is saved. No, he isn't. No. He was indwelled by Satan. Satan can't do that with a believer in Christ. He was an unbeliever and he is in the lake of fire, period. And what did Satan do? Right after Satan used him, he threw him away. Threw him a bag of coins, 30 silver pieces. And what did they do with the silver pieces? They bought a cemetery plot so they could bury him after he hung himself. Because that's what you do. When you realize what you've done, you want to hang yourself. We don't have a punishing God. and Even though we don't have a punishing God, there's a penalty for sin. A righteous God can have no contact with unrighteousness. So when you sin, you're unrighteous. And God can't have contact with you. How about that? Wow. Now, fortunately for you believers in Christ... He imputed his righteousness to you, so that doesn't exactly apply to you. He made you righteous. But there is a penalty for unrighteousness, that time when you're an unbeliever. Unrighteousness could never describe a believer in Christ, even when we sin. Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says this, For the earned wages of sin, the compensation paid for your sinful works is spiritual death. We can easily understand this idea from human law. No matter how much we like a person when they commit murder, even for reasons we can understand from a human point of view, the justice required by law is that the murderer must pay for breaking the law. So it is with God. If God did not require us to pay for breaking his laws when we sin, he would be violating his very own integrity, which he would never do. This truth poses quite a dilemma for the human race because according to Romans chapter 3, verse 23, all creatures have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. According to Romans 3.10, it is written, there is no creature who is righteous, not even one. That's the description of every person when they come to this earth. They have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are not righteous, not even one. Since every human being is born with Adam's sin imputed to us, and since every human being com- commits personal sinning in his lifetime, how can we ever have a relationship with a God, with God when betraying him demands a punishment? As it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Therefore, just as through one man Adam's sin entered into the world, and spiritual death entered into the world through Adam's sin, so spiritual death spread to all men because all men were considered by God the Father to have sinned when Adam sinned. Adam's sin was imputed to you. And so when babies are born, you cuddle them under the chin, of oh, the goo goo ga and you think they're so cute, but they are spiritually dead. I asked uh, Zachary the other day, we just, we just talk sometimes, and I said, hey, Zach, your, uh, your nephew Elijah, is he spiritually dead? Sure is. <laughs> no hesitation. Yeah. He's cute, isn't he, though? But he's cute, but he's spiritually dead as he can be. Don't know nothing. Beautiful. Everybody comes here to the earth as spiritually dead sinners. Because of the betrayal of Adam's sin, and because of the betrayal of our own personal sins, there's an enmity, a condition of hostility between God and us from birth. God has a way of dealing with his enemies who betray him, though. He calls it reconciliation at the cross, what did the Lord Jesus Christ do at the cross? At the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ restored the peace between God the Father and mankind. And that restoration of peace is called reconciliation. What is reconciliation? It is the removal of an enmity. It is the restoration of harmony. It is the reinstatement of peace. God did that for you, even though you wronged him. Wow. Wow. Because of the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ at the cross, peace between mankind and God the Father is restored. Colossians chapter 2 verses 13 and 14 say this: When you were spiritually dead in your transgressions and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God the Father made you spiritually alive together with Christ, having forgiven all our transgressions. Colossians 2:14, and having canceled out the certificate of debt Consisting of decrees against us. What is that? It's an indictment. And the indictment lists exactly why you're going to jail. That's the certificate of debt. That certificate of debt which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way having nailed it to the cross. God the Father took that certificate of debt and tore it up. He nailed it to the cross because on the cross he sent his son to pay for your sins so that you would not have to. And if he had not done that, you would be toast. You would be going to the lake of fire. Now, when we accept the person and work of Jesus Christ for our own salvation, we are no longer sinners. We are saints. And the result is the restoration of peace between us and God. Romans chapter 5. Verse 1 says this, therefore, having been justified on the principle of faith in the past, when it, before he even created you, God the Father knew, before the Lord even created you, God the Father knew whether or not you would believe in his son or not. And if the answer was yes, you were justified right at that moment in the past. Therefore, having been justified on the principle of faith in the past, we believers in Christ now and forevermore in the present and in the future keep on having peace, continuous action. Keep on having peace with God the Father through our union with the Lord. Not only did God want to give us peace, he wanted to make sure we could never ruin it again because he knows us. And so what did he do to keep us from ruining the peace? He had the Holy Spirit place us into union with Christ at the moment of salvation, the baptism of the Spirit, so that we wouldn't ruin what he had done. Romans chapter 5, verse 11. And not only this, he did much more. We believers in Christ also exult, we're silly happy, in God the Father through our union with the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation what is the reconciliation? Peace. God has nothing against you. The barrier is torn down. There's no longer a veil between us and God. That's what. Colossians chapter 1 verses 19 to 22. This is the, 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 the chapter we're studying. This is the section of the chapter we're studying for today which brought up this whole idea of reconciliation and redemption. Colossians chapter 1 Verses 19 to 22. It was God the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness of deity to dwell in the Christ, the Messiah. Colossians chapter 1, verse 20. And through Christ, to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of Jesus Christ's cross. He knew what your sin would require for payment. Not gold and silver, like your feudal way of life that you inherited from your forefathers. No, he knew that the only thing that could pay for your sins is the Lord Jesus Christ's blood. So he reconciled you, having made peace through the blood of Jesus Christ's cross, to reconcile all things, I say, whether things on heaven or things in the earth. Colossians 121. And although you were former alienated from the resurrection life and from God, and although you were formerly hostile in mind toward God, that's how we come to earth, alienated and hostile toward God. None of us seek for God. Romans chapter 3, none of us seek for God. He seeks us and engaged in evil deeds. Colossians 1.22, yet Jesus Christ has now reconciled you to God the Father in his fleshly body, through physical death on the cross. All of the sins that any creature has ever committed, past, present, and future, were imputed to Jesus Christ and judged in his physical body. Deity, his lordship, cannot touch sin. So it was his humanity that paid for sin. And all of that, those sins were imputed to him in three hours on the cross. And the only thing God the Father could do for Jesus Christ during that three hours is darken the sky. This happened from noon to 3 o'clock. And from noon to 3 o'clock, the sky was completely darkened while he was paying for the sins of all mankind. Amen? Your sins, my sins, being ticked off on his back. June Murphy, 1,130,000 sins. All the rest of you, even more than that, Pastor Rory Clark, one, two, three. That was quick. Amen? It was quick. It was quick. What'd you say? Well, shut up. Don't be using my stuff against me. (laughs) Good point. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19 say this, Now all these gifts are from God the Father, who reconciled us to himself through Christ, and who gave us the ministry of reconciliation. See, this, do you see what I have against us in Barah Ministries? We have this gift, the ministry of reconciliation, we don't think it's important enough to get, get this in front of people, see? I've got that against us. That will not happen in January of 2023, I guarantee you that. We will not be having empty seats in this place. We're going to get people here because our ministry, one of the Barah ministries is reconciliation. Letting people know that there is peace between us and God. We're not keeping it a secret anymore. We're not sitting on our asses. That's not what he asked us to do. 2 Corinthians 5.19 Namely, that God the Father, through the person and work of Christ, was reconciling the world to himself. How did he reconcile the world to himself? By not counting their sins against them. I wish I had friends who could do this, who could not count my sins against me. Amen? Amen? Don't you wish you had family members like that who wouldn't count your sins against you? You did something to them 30 years ago and they're still bringing it up. Unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. And God the Father has committed to us the word of reconciliation. See, that doesn't sound like much. God the Father has committed to us the word of reconciliation. What it's saying is God gave you his word, a word he's never broken. Amen? Amen. So when we were God the Father's enemy, He provided a solution that allows us to be reconciled to Him. The solution is His Son, who died in our place so that our sin could be paid for and we can be saved. Most of us have no desire to be reconciled to those who betray us. So if you don't think that God and His plan are special, you're not looking at the evidence because nobody would do the things the way the Lord does them. Nobody. When we return from the break, we'll take the offering and then we'll see what the Lord did for His friends. Take a five-minute break.
1: Why you ever chose me has always been a mystery. All my life, I've been told I belong at the end of the line, with all the other not quite, with all the never get it right. I'm just a nobody Trying to tell everybody All about somebody Who saved my soul Ever since you rescued me You gave my heart a song to sing I'm living for the world stage fright and david brought a rock to a sword fight you picked 12 outsiders nobody would have chosen and you changed the world well the moral of the story is everybody's got a purpose so when i hear that devil start talking to me saying who do you think you are i say i'm just a no For the world to see Nobody
0: but you
2: Lord's Supper celebration at the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ reconciled us and redeemed us. The Lord Jesus Christ at the cross reconciled us and redeemed us. Legendary basketball coach John Wooden once said, You can't have a perfect day without doing something for someone who will never be able to repay you. As you give today, let your attitude reflect the divine attitude, as communicated in Acts chapter twenty, verse thirty five, which says this. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus Christ, who himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Let's welcome up Deacon Denny Goodall with one of his always inspiring offering messages. That voice is related to you. Uh-huh.
4: Good morning. Good morning. That's a little loud. At least the mics are working today. I'm thankful for that. Yeah. Good morning. My name is Denny Goodall, and I'm blessed to be a deacon for Barat Ministries. Barat Ministries is a worldwide Christian church, and this is a place for real people who want to listen to a real pastor teach the real truth from the Word of God in the Bible. And, you know, pastor asked us a question a while ago. He said, what, what shapes your reality? Because I think if we're being honest... The world shapes our reality. Like he said, it's always bleating at us. There's so much advertising. There's so much social media now and, you know, the death of cable. Now there's so many streaming services. There's just tons of different streaming services that can just get you caught up in it and reinforce, like Pastor was talking about, our, our arrogant skills. If we're already off on the deep end and we start watching some shows that reinforces it or see it on social media that reinforces it, then, you know, we're lost to God. We're never coming back. And it's interesting, you know, because really Netflix doesn't just cost $17.99. It costs your time. So that's time you didn't spend with God or with family or doing something productive. You know, we're not all like pastor and taking an hour off in the morning and, you know, praying and studying every day and doing all that (laughs) stuff. But so (laughs) Netflix, you know, certainly sneaks in. But I think it's it's important to, to put that time ahead first put time first for God, you know, and that's what he's saying with that, you know, you think about Big Macs, or a Vente Latte Frappuccino, they don't cost $3.99, they cost your health, but all the advertising would say, oh, it's convenient, or let's have a coffee, you see coffee's everywhere, everybody's got a, a coffee, I better have one too to fit in, just like the new smoking cigarettes, it's, it's a, a Starbucks cup, you got to have one of those around with you all the time, and it's just shaping what you think is important. And it's really, it doesn't cost us the money, it's your health. You know, when you think about social media, it's not really free. It costs you your focus. So where is your focus? Is it with social media? Are you watching all these people doing only good things and then you look at your life and it's horrible? And it's just the world around us shapes our reality. And we know that that shouldn't be the thing that shapes our reality. We can see that in 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world. Satan's cosmic system of thought, which is hostile to God, nor anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, maybe you do and maybe you don't, you have a choice. The unco- unconditional love of God the Father is not in him. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, these things are not from God. They're from the world. And I think those things overpower our drive, and our connection with god you know the world says that prayer doesn't work you know that oh, we don't want your thoughts and prayers we want action we want money you know they haven't seen prayer work like we've seen it work you know and they'll make you doubt your prayers or you know they say that pain is bad but pain is really good it's a warning sign you know zach stuck his hand on the stove that one frightful morning <laughs> said ot daddy ot daddy if he hadn't been hot you know it wouldn't have, if he hadn't had pain, it wouldn't have told him to not touch that. You know, and some people have had some serious pain in their life, you know, loss of loved ones, loss of children. And if you've had that pain, there's really not much more the world can do to you because you've gone through that. And if you've survived through that, you know, there's not much more the world can do to you. You can be very supportful to have support for other people, but you can also know that, you know, if you get through that, nothing can hurt you now. And, you know, the world would have you believe that pain is bad, but pain helps us learn. Pain helps us sharpen our sword and helps us remember that the battle is the Lord's and not ours. You know, so the world would have you not want to give to this ministry. Faith is silly. Faith is dumb. Faith doesn't have any evidence. But we've seen the evidence. We know what this church can do. And we that's why we ask you to give it the offering so you can help truth shape the reality and not the world. And so thank you for supporting Pastor and his mission to, to give the... The truth of reconciliation and redemption, and the love of God—not—not not this this God that's we're willing to just come down on us all, you know. And so, thank you for your consistent support, and thank you for remembering that Christ is first, not the world.
2: supper celebration let's enjoy the elements together bread and wine the Lord gave us these things to remember him we'll enjoy the elements together in a few moments as we listen to the Lord's Supper song so obeying God's command we keep on celebrating Christ and his cross regularly we eat to remember who he is as a person we drink to remember his work on the cross the voluntary sacrifice he made on our behalf as our sin sacrifice We're grateful for what God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ have done for us. Matthew chapter 26, verse 26 says this. While they were eating, Jesus took some bread. And after a blessing, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take this and eat it. This is my body, which will be broken for you. And then... He had taken the cup. He gave it to them saying, Drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. That's why we call the front, the back part of the Bible, the New Testament. It's a new covenant. This is my blood, the blood of a new covenant, blood poured out for the many for the forgiveness of their sins. As you enjoy the bread and wine, Enjoy the memory of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as well. Now and always, let's keep on giving thanks that we are loved unconditionally and accepted fully by a Lord who is always there for us, the one on whom we depend, and let's keep on being transformed by his life, his death, his resurrection from the dead, and his word. And let's enjoy his unconditional love, his forgiveness, and his grace. So as we're enjoying the elements, the Lord's Supper song, Matthew chapter 1 verse 23 says this, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and she will bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. As you enjoy the elements, listen to Chris Tomlin tell you about Jesus, Messiah, Supper celebration at the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ reconciled us and redeemed us. At the cross, the Lord Jesus Christ reconciled us and redeemed us. God has a way of dealing with his friends who betray him. It's called redemption. Do you know anyone who is wasting his life? I do. He's a person who is a horrible steward of the gift of life that God has given him. You would call him a thief, and he was quite good at it. And what he was good at is not getting caught. He lived that way of life. His friends would encourage him to change. He heard the words they said, but he refused to listen. He was a very likable person, so his friends just hoped that somehow, some way, things would change for him, and that he would turn his life around. Those words that no one wants to hear about himself applied to him. He's got a lot of potential, people would say. You and I both know what that means. It means that one day he could be good, but right now he pretty much sucks. And unfortunately, he never did turn it around. One day he got caught. Many believers in Christ are wasting their lives this way, squandering the gift of life that God has given them. And when they do this for long enough, they start to believe that they can't turn their lives around. These believers in Christ self-justify. No one becomes successful overnight, they claim. Life's not a light switch. You can't just turn success off and on. These believers failed to trust God's word because in God's word, he says, in Luke chapter 1, verse 37, nothing will be impossible with God. My friend probably said self-justifying things to himself over and over. One day, his thievery came to an end. He got caught. And like all thieves, he was trying for the big score, and it didn't work. He was arrested. Tried, convicted, and sentenced to death. The friend I'm referring to is your friend too. If you're a believer in Christ, you will meet him one day in heaven. He was one of the thieves who was crucified next to Jesus. The last day of his life was awful. He knew what was coming and there was no way out. Soon he would be hanging naked from a cross, being taunted by the cruel ones who looked on. He would be a cautionary tale for all who chose not to turn their lives around. His mother would visit him the night before, and she would be so distraught about his fate that she would throw up. How did her son waste his life like that? Why would he choose this fate? It was over, and he couldn't redeem himself. But one decision changed everything. One decision changed everything. Next to him on the cross was the sovereign God of the universe, his creator, the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, who was being crucified on the very same day. Luke chapter 23, verses 42 and 43 say this. The thief being crucified next to Jesus was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. The magic nine words. Jesus Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Luke 23:42, 42. 40, I'm sorry, Luke 23:43. And Jesus said to him, truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. One decision changed everything. The thief couldn't redeem himself, but the Lord was willing to redeem him. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in union with Christ, and all believers in Christ are, there is a new creation. The old things passed away. The old things died. Behold, new things have come. Redeemed. The Lord, at that moment, made him new. Romans chapter 6, verse 14 says this, Sin shall no longer be a lord over you, for you're not under the law, but you're under grace. And all those people who looked on at him were saying, you got exactly what you deserve. And the Lord said, no, it's not like that. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7 says this, in union with Christ, we believers in Christ have redemption. Through his blood, we have redemption. The forgiveness of our trespasses. According to the riches of the Lord's grace, we have redemption. What is redemption? Redemption means to buy a slave's freedom, which is what Jesus Christ did when he purchased believers in Christ with his blood. He bought our freedom. And as a result, the Lord's believers have eternal life, the resurrection life, the Zoe life. We have the forgiveness of sins. We have absolute righteousness imputed to our account. We have freedom from the laws cursed. Adoption into God's family as sons, deliverance from sin's bondage, peace with God the Father, and the indwelling of God the Holy Spirit. To be redeemed is to be forgiven, to be made holy, to be justified, to be freed from slavery, to be adopted, and to be reconciled. If a thief on the cross can make a single decision that turns his wasted life around, you A believer in Christ, a friend of God, can do much more. Don't waste your life. For the thief, one decision changed everything. For you, one decision can change everything. There's a lot for us to learn. You want to take that slide off? There's a lot for us to learn from our loving, compassionate, forgiving, and graceful God. God has a way of dealing with friends who betray him. And all we can say about his way is, it's amazing. For the friends who betray me, I pray for them every day. I pray that God doesn't give them what they deserve. But I don't even have to pray for that because he never would consider it. Never would consider it. We have a God who is amazing. Well, the closing moments of our lesson are a reminder to all of you who don't have a relationship with the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ that God wants you. And what God wants from you is that you make the most important decision of your life. The Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the entire universe, your creator, loves you unconditionally and wants the best for you. So here is a question that demands reflection Are you a sinner? or a saint according to the bible all of us come to earth as sinners romans chapter 3 verse 23 says all creatures have sinned and fall short of the glory of god romans chapter 3 verse 10 says there is not one creature who is righteous not even one unfortunately being a sinner has a penalty romans chapter 6 verse 23 says this the payment earned for being a sinner is both spiritual death and physical death that's what Uh, The Lord said to Adam in the garden, If you eat from that tree in the middle, dying, die. Dying physically, dying spiritually, you will have to die physically. Being a sinner is bad news, especially if you die as a sinner. Revelation chapter 20 verse 15 says this, And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, at the great white throne judgment of unbelievers... And that will be true for all of them. He was thrown into the lake of fire. If you die before you accept a relationship with the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you leave this life as a sinner, and that is not good news for you. However, the Bible is a guide for sinners, and it contains good news. If you're a sinner and you're still breathing, you can choose to become a saint. The sovereign God of the universe, the Lord Jesus Christ, and his Father have special plans for sinners. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says this, God the Father demonstrates his own unconditional love toward all mankind in that while we were sinners, while we were unrighteous, ungodly unbelievers, Christ died a sacrificial death for us. John chapter 3, verse 16, God the Father loved the world unconditionally and he loved the world so much that he gave his uniquely born son, the God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ, 100% God and 100% man and one person forever, to be crucified on a cross, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. Instead, he shall have the resurrection life. The Lord Jesus Christ has his arms wide open right this minute waiting to welcome sinners into his kingdom. John chapter 6, verse 37 says this, And the ones who come to me to believe in me, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, will certainly not cast out into the outer darkness the lake of fire. The Lord Jesus Christ wants you. There are a few things you need to know if you want to be transformed from sinner to saint. First, you can't work to be saved because God does the work for you. Titus chapter 3, verse 5 says this, The Lord Jesus Christ saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in self-righteousness, but according to his mercy, not giving us what we deserve, by the washing of regeneration and through the renewing by God the Holy Spirit. Second, to be a saint instead of a sinner, you need to have a change of mind. The Bible calls this repentance, and it has nothing to do with your sins as many legalists claim. Repent means to change your mind about your desire to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Moving from having no desire to having uh, a relationship with him to an immediate desire to have a relationship with him. Acts chapter 17, verses 30 and 31 say this. Therefore, having overlooked the times of your ignorance, God the Father is now declaring to men that all people everywhere should repent they should change their mind about having a relationship with Christ, Acts 17, 31, because God the Father has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through the God-man, Jesus Christ, whom the Father has appointed, having furnished proof that he is God to all men by raising Jesus Christ from the dead. Wow. Finally, you need to acknowledge the truths in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. I, Paul delivered to you as of primary importance the gospel message I also received from God, that it was Jesus Christ who died for our sins according to the Old Testament scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised from the dead on the third day, according to the Old Testament scriptures. So how can you move from sinner to saint? John chapter 1 verse 12 says, Whosoever received him, to them the Lord Jesus Christ gave the right to become children of God the Father, even to those who believe in Jesus Christ's name. Acts chapter 16, verse 31 says this, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and everyone in your household who also believes. But heed the warning of John chapter 3, verse 36. He who believes in the Son shall have the eternal life, the resurrection life, right at that moment. But he who does not obey the command to believe in the Son will not see the resurrection life. Instead, the wrath of God, the lake of fire, abides on him. As a reminder, once you have salvation, you cannot lose it. An immutable God who never changes his mind saves you once and for all time. Acts chapter 16, I'm sorry, John chapter 10, verse 38, says this, I, the Lord Jesus Christ, give the resurrection life, eternal life, to believers in Christ, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. So you, unbelievers, believe now, because there is no time to waste. Let's close with some music. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says this, The Lord's divine power has granted to us, believers in Christ, everything pertaining to the resurrection life and godliness, the Christian way of living, through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. June Murphy says in her song that we are God's property.
3: we father
2: wrong with June today but she's singing good (laughs) what
0: happened
2: you're on key just so good (laughs) no I'm serious didn't you feel the same way like she's all over that song we are God's property live by I was like I wanted to sing with you all right so the closing (laughs) Thank you for not. You see what I'm saying? You guys think I'm just picking on her. She never says anything back. There it is. It sneaked out. She did. She stabbed me right in, my, right in the side. Here. <laughs> All right. So some words of praise to our God. Let's acknowledge the magnificence. Of the Almighty One. Proverbs 3 5 says, Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge the Lord, and he will direct your path straight. I love the way the Greek says that. He will direct your path straight. Psalm 46 1 God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in times of trouble. He's a very present help in other times too. Isaiah 40.13, those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Let us pray. They will mount up with ings like weagles. That verse always strips me up. I was glad to get it right today. Weevils <laughs> wobble, we but they don't fall down. That's right. I'm watching my own lips very closely. Let us pray. Almighty God and Father, we're just amazed that you love us as much as you do. We we feel the 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 power of your love. My friend Jan Goldberg down in uh Crossville, Tennessee, would say that we're cavelling because of your almighty love for us. We just We just sit and think about it, and we just feel these warm feelings all over because of how much you love us, and we just thank you so much for that. We thank you for giving your son as the ultimate sacrifice when we were your enemies, which says everything about you, because none of us would ever deem to do what you did for an enemy. We thank you for giving us God, the Holy Spirit, who puts a rudder on our lives, and we want to get in our powerboat run all over the place and we usually end up dashing ourselves on the rocks but God the Holy Spirit is always there to put a rudder on our boat with our permission and to guide us into all the truth and so as we go forward this week into the unknown into the things that we're going to encounter that we don't know about but that you do open our spiritual eyes so that we can see what's going on around us remind us through the word that you've placed in us today that we have divine power for our human problems and help us to be meaningful and to have impact on others by telling them about your reconciliation and redemption offers. And we ask this through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, in Christ's name. Say it with me. Amen. Amen. Thank you for coming. Thank you for watching.